you know, I, I just believe that the house of God is important. And being together with God's people and worshiping together is important. And so it's so good to see you this morning and uh, trusting that you will be blessed and encouraged today in this service. Open your Bibles with me uh, to the Gospel of Mark. We're in Mark chapter number 15. Mark chapter number 15. And uh, we'll kind of pick up where we left off last Sunday. And I want to preach this morning a message. Um, we're, t- we're, we're, we're at the time of the Lord's of the Lord's death on the cross, the time of the crucifixion. And uh, um, that's what we're going to be studying this morning and talking about this morning. And I want to talk to you this morning on the glory of the cross, the glory of the cross. And so we're going to begin reading. If you're there in Mark chapter 15, are you there? Say amen if you're there. All right. They'll be putting it on the screen. I I apologize. I forgot to give you the scriptures again this morning. But uh, we're in Mark 15. We're going to begin reading with verse 20. Mark 15 and verse 20. And it says this. Then they can... And when they, I jumped down to 21, amen. (laughs) Verse 20, and when they had mocked him, speaking of Jesus, they took the purple off of him and put his own clothes on him and they led him out to crucify him. And then they compelled a certain man, Simon, a Cyrenian, the father of Alexander and Rufus, as he was coming out of the country and passing by to bear his cross. And they brought him to the place, Golgotha, which is translated place of a skull. Then they gave him wine mingled with myrrh to drink, but he did not take it. And when they crucified him, they divided his garments, casting lots for them to determine what every man should take. Now it was the third hour and they crucified him. And the inscription of his accusation was written above the king of the Jews. With him they also crucified two robbers, one on his right and the other on his left. So the scripture was fulfilled which says, and he was numbered with the transgressors. Those who passed by blasphemed him, wagging their heads and saying, Aha, you who destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. Likewise, the chief priests also mocking among themselves with the scribes said, He saved others, himself he cannot save. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, descend now from the cross that we may see and believe. And even those who were crucified with him reviled him. Now when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which is translated, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Some of those who stood by when they heard that said, Look, he's calling for Elijah. Then someone ran and filled a sponge full of sour wine and put it on a reed and offered it to him to drink, saying, Let him alone. Let us see if Elijah will come and take him down. Jesus cried out with a loud voice and breathed his last. And John 19.30 says that what he cried out was it is finished. Verse 38, Then the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. So when the centurion who stood opposite him saw that he cried out like this and breathed his last, he said, Truly, this man was the Son of God. Father, we ask your blessing today upon the ministry of your word. Help me that I would say exactly what you would have me to say today. Open our hearts to receive what you want us to receive in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen and amen. This morning in this message today, we, we come to some holy ground because we come today to a place 
that is called Calvary. We come to a place today as is recorded here in Mark's gospel. It, gospel, it is called Golgotha, the place of the skull. And it was called that simply because the mountain where the mountain of Calvary, where the crosses were and where Jesus was crucified, was actually in the shape of a skull. There was really there was a Jewish tradition um, that said that the place where, where, where Jesus was crucified, that Golgotha was actually the place of Adam's burial, where Adam was buried and that his skull was found there, but there's no scriptural basis to that. It was only a Jewish tradition. But nevertheless, the Bible calls Golgotha the place of a skull. Calvary is a very special place. Calvary is the place where God, as the old song says, that God the mighty maker died for man, the creature's sin. Calvary was where the love of God was shown and where man was at his lowest depths, but God was at his greatest heights. Calvary was the place where man, where, where the place where man says and still says is foolishness, but the place that is the power of God and the wisdom of God. The cross of Christ is the only place today, ladies and gentlemen, the only place where man can meet God and it's the only place where God came down to meet man. So it is so very important that we understand and realize what the cross means to our life and understand how important the cross is to our life and what Jesus did there at the cross means to us and how vitally important it is to us. It's interesting to note that when you read the Gospels that none of the Gospel writers in the four Gospels describe the actual details of the crucifixion itself. And it's kind of like they were, they were saying that it was too sacred, that it, there was kind of a sacred, there was a sacred curtain that was drawn to this site because it was too holy for human eyes to gaze upon. We do know about crucifixion. We do know that, that, that crucifixion was the most horrible form of death that was ever devised by wicked man. We do know what took place when they crucified someone and, and it was a, a, their, the Roman means of execution when they took that guilty individual, that one that had been declared guilty and took them and laid them down on the cross, on those cross beams and took the large spike nails and nailed their hands and their feet to the cross. Um, that is what they did to Jesus and we know about that. We have saw pictures of it we have saw movies about it but it's 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 interesting though to note that there was nothing mentioned by the gospel writers describing the act of crucifixion it was a horrible means and a horrible form of death. The most excruciating uh, form of death that has probably ever been devised by evil wicked men. C.H. Spurgeon made this statement and he said that all historians must confess that the turning point of the race is at the cross of Jesus Christ. For it was from that moment the power of evil received its mortal wound and the power of evil, evil does die hard. But from that hour at the cross it was doomed. And I have to say man to that because it was at the cross where Jesus put away our sin, where Jesus paid the supreme price, hallelujah, where he, he paid your sin debt and my sin debt and it was at that cross where Satan took his death blow at Calvary and was defeated completely and totally. And I just like to say that over and over that at Calvary Jesus 
Jesus bruised the head of the serpent and defeated the powers of darkness. And you know, we have people today that say that, that the cross was a place of defeat, that we shouldn't be preaching about the cross anymore, that we should focus on the resurrection more and not so much on the cross. But I really don't see where you can separate the cross from the resurrection. They're one and the same. I mean, Jesus resurrected because he died. He had to die to be resurrected. And the resurrection was never in question. There was never a doubt that Jesus was coming out of that grave. He had told them, he had told his disciples, he tried to prepare them for this event and he said, we're going to Jerusalem and uh, I'm going to be crucified at the hands of wicked men and I'm going to die and they're going to treat me terribly. But on the third day he said, I'm going to rise again. And Jesus had even said, hallelujah, that I'm laying my life down. Nobody's taking it from me. He said, I'm laying it down freely and I have the power given to me of the Father to lay my life down and I have the power to take it up again. So thank God the resurrection was never in doubt. He died and on that third day he rose from the dead and he is alive today. Come on, amen. Woo, hallelujah. Praise God. But the cross was not a place of defeat. Paul said in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 14 that God forbid that I should boast or glory in anything except the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. Satan would have us to deny the cross, to shun the cross, not to focus on the cross because he knows that it was there at that cross where the precious blood of Jesus was shed that he was defeated and sin was, was totally and completely and absolutely atoned for at the cross of Calvary. And my life is changed today. And I am turned around today. Amen. And I am on solid ground today. And hell has lost another one today because of what Jesus did 2,000 years ago in dying and shedding his blood on that cross of Calvary. Thank God we will cherish the old rugged cross Tell our trophies at last we laid down. I'm going to cling to the old rugged cross and one day soon exchange that cross for a crown. Can somebody say amen today? Hallelujah for the cross of Christ. But I want to talk to you this morning about, I got three points I want to give you. I'm going to try to get them to you quick. All right? Somebody's laughing. I want to talk to you first of all about the pathway of the cross the pathway of the cross. Then I want to talk to you about the people at the cross. And then lastly, the purpose of the cross. But the pathway to the cross, the Bible says here in our text that they took Jesus to a place called Golgotha, being interpreted the place of the skull. This trail that Jesus took from Pilate's judgment hall to the, the, the place called Calvary is known as the Via Della Rosa or the Way of Sorrows. It was that trip up that hill to Calvary to Golgotha where Jesus would die for the sins of the world. That was a pathway that they led him on to his death. But you know the pathway to the cross did not start or begin in Jerusalem and the pathway to the cross did not begin at Pilate's judgment hall. But the pathway to the cross actually began in eternity past. Because the Bible tells us in Revelation chapter 13 and verse 8, it says that Jesus is the Lamb of God that was slain from the foundation of the world. See, the pathway to the cross was not an accident. The pathway to the cross was not an afterthought with God. 
The pathway to the cross was not something that God uh, just happened to think, well, what are we going to do? You know, Adam sinned and man has fallen and what are we going to do now? He wasn't, he wasn't wringing his hands. You know, it's, a, it's interesting to me to note in the book of Genesis that after the fall of man, that the next thing you read about God was that he came walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And that's the only place, that's the only place, you know, that, that you see God, God is there and he's, he's, not, he's not wringing his hands. He's not upset. He's not worried. He knew that man had fallen. He knew that he had sinned. But he comes walking into the garden in the cool of the day. He wasn't wondering what he was going to do because the cross had already been designed from eternity past. God knew that man would sin. He knew that mankind would fall. He knew that, the, that he would bring himself under judgment and that there would have to be a way of redemption and a way in salvation. So in eternity past, long before man was ever created, God, the Godhead got together and they began the pathway to the cross to determine to send God's only son to die on Calvary. The cross, as I said, was not an afterthought with God, but God was the divine architect of the cross long before the foundation of the world was laid. And when you study the Bible and read the Bible, you will see the pathway of the cross all throughout human history. There's a scarlet thread that runs through this book from Genesis to Revelation that is the thread of the cross and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. The most important event, the greatest event that ever took place was when Jesus went to that cross and died there as your son substitute and as my substitute. In the very garden of Eden after man had fell and Adam and Eve had sinned you know the story how that they took fig leaves and, and they were naked and they were ashamed and they tried to cover their shame and, and clothe themselves and cover themselves with fig leaves which was a, a type of their own self-righteousness but God came and God what did God do? God slaughtered some animals and shed some blood and took the skin of those animals to clothe Adam and Eve from their nakedness. It was a type of the shedding of the blood of his son at Calvary that would clothe us with the righteousness of God. And then we see in Cain and Abel's sacrifices how that Abel brought a blood sacrifice that was accepted of God and Cain's vegetable offering, a bloodless offering, was not accepted of God. We see in the book of Genesis where as Abraham offered Isaac to God that God at that time as Abraham lifted the knife called to Abraham from heaven and provided a ram there in the thicket for Abraham to substitute for his son and the ram was killed in the place of his son. It was a type of what God was going to do to redeem mankind in giving the life of his son. All through the Old Testament, Israel daily sacrificed lambs on the altar for sin because it was only a blood sacrifice that could be accepted by God. The Bible says that the life of the flesh is in the blood and the Bible says that without the shedding of blood there is no remission for sin. You can trace the path of the cross through the book of Psalms and especially in the prophetic psalm of David in Psalm 22 when he graphically describes crucifixion 800 years before crucifixion was ever was ever uh, devised before it ever existed the path of the cross is through the prophets as Isaiah said that he was wounded for our transgressions he was bruised for our iniquities the chastisement of our peace was upon him and with his stripes we are healed. Hallelujah to the Lamb. You see the path of the cross in the book of John at the beginning of the ministry of Jesus when John pointed to him and said behold the Lamb of God which takes away the sin of the world. I thank God today that there's a pathway that leads to Calvary through the word of Almighty God. Come on 
Somebody say amen today. Give the Lord a praise. Woo! The path of the cross. I'm going to say this is the only pathway to God. There's no other way. There's no other pathway to God. And I know that there are those today that would say, well, you know that there is, there is many roads. Oprah Winfrey, I think, said that. Somebody asked me, did you watch the interview with Oprah and uh, whoever it was she interviewed. That's how much I pay attention. I said, I don't watch anything Oprah does. But she made the statement that there are many ways to God, that Jesus is just one of the ways to God. Anytime that a preacher, a prominent preacher is interviewed by Anyone on TV, they always ask that same question. Can the Jew be saved? Can anybody be saved other than accepting Jesus? And they always seem to heme-haw around and sidestep the issue. But I think, it's, I think it's very simple, and that is Jesus made the statement, and he said that I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life and no one can come to the Father except through me and by me. Isn't that what Jesus said? See, the fact is, and you know, I know people say, well, you know, you're, 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 uh, you're narrow-minded, Brother Rick. Well, thank God. Amen. <laughs> but the, the fact is, the fact is there is only one place, ladies and gentlemen, where man can be made right with God. There is only one mediator between God and man and that is the man Christ Jesus. There is only one place where you can receive forgiveness of sin. There is only one place that you can find redemption. Praise God. There is only one road to heaven. There is only one bridge today that bridges the gap between sin and righteousness and that one way is the cross of Jesus Christ and the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. I read of a little boy that uh, got lost from his home. His, he and his parents had just moved to this particular town and he wandered away from the house and he got lost and he couldn't find his way back to his house, couldn't find his way home. And a policeman happened to uh, see him wandering around and he was crying and he was upset and the, and the policeman uh, said to him, son, where do you live? What's your address? And the little boy said, I don't know the street and I don't know the address. He said, the only thing that I know is that right by our house is a church with a big cross. And if I can find the cross, I can find my way home. Oh, hallelujah. Can I tell you today, if you can find the cross, the cross is the way home. The blood is the way of salvation. Jesus is the way to heaven. And if you need him today, he's here to wash you, cleanse you, and turn your life around. Can you say amen? The pathway to the cross. But then there was the people. Secondly, there was the people that were at the cross. There was a lot of people at the cross that day. There was a group of people, a lot of spectators that were there to watch the crucifixion. And there was a crowd that was there that day that was there out of curiosity. And uh, they were just there because they wanted to see a crucifixion, kind of like... It was kind of like in the Western movies, you see, when they were having a hanging. I guess they used to come out, and, you know, they sold refreshments and everything. Everything in those Western movies, people would come out to watch those hangings. And they did, the, they did this um, during the time of crucifixion. And they came, many people came just out of curiosity. They knew that this man that they were crucifying on this particular day was the man that had healed the sick and he had went about preaching good things and he had went about doing so many good things and so they came out of curiosity to see him crucified, to see what was going on. Do you know there's a lot of people today that have come to Jesus out of curiosity. There's a lot of people that have come to the cross just out of curiosity. A lot of people have come to church 
church services just out of curiosity, just to see what was going on, especially in Pentecostal churches. In the early days of Pentecost, people would come, you know, just to make fun. People would come to Pentecostal services to uh, ridicule them and to, and to make fun of them and to throw rotten eggs and rotten tomatoes and rotten vegetables at them. You know, those, I tell you, our forefathers, uh, I, I appreciate my heritage as a Pentecostal because Pentecost, you know, um, our forefathers were Pentecost when Pentecost wasn't cool. Amen. And they, 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 they went through a lot to, so that we can have what we have today. But a lot of people would come to those meetings and those services just out of curiosity, just to make fun. And I've, I've read the stories and I've read the accounts of people that would come out of curiosity, even during the Azusa Street Revival in the early 1900s that that reporters would come to Azusa Street. They wanted to make fun and then write the reports about what was going on. And they would come out of curiosity, but something would happen to them. They came to ridicule, but the Holy Ghost would get a hold of them. Hallelujah. They came as spectators just to spectate and see what was going on, but the Spirit of God would get a hold of them and bring them right to the cross and they'd wind up getting getting saved and getting born again and getting delivered. There's been a lot of people that's came to church services just to see what was going on and they left different than what they were when they got there. Thank God they were changed by the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, you can come. Come on to church because you're curious as to what's going on. But if you get a little too close to the cross, I'm telling you, the cross will get a hold to your life and change your life today. Woo! But then there was another man that was there by the name of Simon the Cyrenian. He was there and he was just happened to be at that particular place at that particular time when Jesus was carrying his cross up the hill and he fell, he stumbled and fell. Jesus did under the weight of the cross. All that he had been through the night before, the, the mor that morning, the beating and the whipping and everything that he had already encountered. Jesus was so weak, he fell under the weight of the cross. And the Bible said that they compelled a man by the name of Simon the Cyrenian to carry the cross of Jesus. They compelled him, is what the scripture says, to carry the cross. And he carried the cross for Jesus. It was probably just the cross member, the long piece was probably waiting up there on Calvary, but they carried the cross member. Well, like a railroad tie, it could weigh as much as 100 to 150 pounds, and they put it on their shoulders for them to carry. And Jesus falls under the weight, and they grab Simon and pull him over there and say, you get, pick up that cross and carry it for this man. While they helped Jesus up and helped him up the hill, Simon was compelled to carry the cross. How many knows there's a lot of people that are in church today because they were compelled. A lot of people have taken up the cross and have followed the way of the cross and have made Jesus the Lord of their life because somebody compelled them to take up that cross. Somebody compelled them. I was talking to you a while ago about inviting people to church, inviting people to the house of God. Amen. And I know some people say, well, I don't want to say too much to them because I don't want to run them away. They're already away. You're trying to get them to come in. Come on somebody. Hallelujah. I'm going to say this. I, you've heard me tell it before, but I thank God for a grandma that wouldn't give up on me as she compelled me every weekend she'd start in. Are you going to church today? Are you going to church Sunday? And I'd say, no, I'm not going to church. Don't talk to me about church. I don't want to hear anything about church. I, I'd, be out, I'd be out partying on Saturday night. Spend the night with a friend on 
Saturday night, on Sunday morning, sleeping with a hangover. And the friend's mom comes up and says, Ricky, you got a phone call. I got a phone call on Sunday morning? Who's calling me here? I get on the phone. It was Grandma. Said, Ricky, are you going to church today? I said, no, I'm not going to church today. Amen. But she compelled me. She wouldn't leave me alone. Thank God there's people here today. I'm here today because somebody compelled me and wouldn't give up on me and compelled me to come to the Lord Jesus Christ. How many can say I'm here today, Pastor, because I was compelled to come to the house of God, go out into the highways and the hedges and compel them to come in that my house may be full. Amen. Amen. Woo! Did Simon the Serenian get saved? I believe that he did. It says that his, that he had two, two sons. One was Alexander and one was Rufus. And many Bible theologians believe that Rufus, the son of Simon the Cyrenian, was the Rufus that Paul acknowledged and mentioned in the 16th chapter of Romans, that he was one that was chosen of God. He was a preacher of the gospel. So if that's the case, Simon it was just carrying that cross, seeing Jesus die, seeing that crucifixion had an impact on Simon the Cyrenian that infected, impacted and affected him and his family. Listen to me, parents. Listen to me, grandparents. You need to compel your children and your grandchildren to follow Jesus and to be in the house of God. I know I've heard, I've heard this. I've heard it. I've heard parents say it. Well, bless God, I was made to go to church when I was little. And that's why I don't go today. Anybody heard that? Well, were you made to take a bath? Did you stop doing that too? Let's hope not. Well, I'm not going to make my kids go to church because I was made to go when I was. I'm going to make them. I'm going to allow them to choose for themselves. You know what? If you allow them to choose for themselves, they're going to choose the wrong thing in the wrong way. You are the parent in that family. You're the dad. You're the mom. You're the grandparent. Amen. You, you are the one that has authority to tell them what they are going to do and what they're going. We've got them. Things are a mess in the world today. And here I go. I'm on a rabbit trail now. I'm getting off, I'm getting off on the side here. But, but things are in a mess today. The kids are running the parents instead of the parents raising and disciplining and correcting and guiding the family and the children. Come on. Dad, you're the priest of that home. It's up to you. It's up to you that your family follows Jesus and comes to the house of God. Come on. Amen. As long as they're in that house, as long as they're in that household, there are rules that apply and they need to know that. Compel them to the cross of Jesus. I love the, you know, you've heard about the, the preacher, the, the pastor that got up in his church one day. And he said, I have a confession to make. He said, I, I, I want to let everybody know that I, when I was younger, I had a drug problem. Boy, and everybody's thinking, wow, our pastor? We didn't know that about our pastor. He said, yeah, I had a drug problem. He said, every Sunday, my mom got me out of, church, out of bed and drugged me to church and drugged me on Sunday night. And she drugged me back to prayer meeting on Wednesday night. And she drugged me to youth camps. And she drugged me to, to uh, youth conventions. And I'm here today, the preacher said, because of that drug problem, because I had a mom and dad that compelled me toward Jesus and to live for Jesus. Woo, hallelujah. So there were those that were curious at the cross. Those were there because they were compelled to be at the cross. 
But then there were also criminals at the cross. Jesus was crucified between two thieves and fulfilled a prophecy in Isaiah 53 and 6, I believe it was. It was Isaiah 53, but it fulfilled the prophecy that he was numbered with the transgressors. He was crucified between two thieves, two robbers, two criminals, two lawbreakers, two ungodly men, one on the right and one on the left, and Jesus there in the middle. These were criminals that had been convicted of a crime. They were rebels. They had broken the law. One of them mocked and railed upon Jesus and died in his sin, while the other thief on the other side called upon the Lord and prayed and asked the Lord to remember him. Remember me, Lord, when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus, right on the spot. Is anybody here? I said, right on the spot. Jesus forgave him and said, I say unto you that this day you will be with me in paradise. And in his dying hours, Jesus took time to save an old robber, an old thief, an old criminal. He didn't chide him for what he had done, but he forgave him and took him to glory that very day. Hallelujah. Can I tell you something today that every single one of us in this church at one time we were criminals. We were law. Oh, well brother Rick I've never been in jail. I've never broke a law in the sight of God. We're all criminals. We're all lawbreakers. We're all lost. We're all away from God. We have all broke the commandments and are due the judgment of God. But Thank God that at the cross is the place where the criminal can be forgiven and made new and made saved to be saved. Hallelujah. Be made ready for heaven. Woo, thank God for the cross. There were the curious there. There were criminals there. There were the compelled that were there. And then there were those Roman soldiers that were there that were calloused. These men were evil. These Roman soldiers were so hardened and so calloused that while Jesus is suffering on the cross, hanging there on the cross, bleeding and dying, what are they doing? These Roman soldiers are at the foot of the cross having a crap game. They're gambling for the clothes of Jesus, for the only thing that he, the only thing that he possesses, the only thing in this earth that he has. They have his clothing, and they're gambling for the clothing of Jesus. But as a side note, I want to mention this, and I don't want to be, I don't want this to be. Uh, derogatory in any way. But I do want to mention that when we see pictures of Jesus, they are, they are modest, thank God. They have a loincloth cloth on him, covering him. But can I tell you that Jesus hung on that cross naked before the world. He was stripped of every single thing, every, every bit of clothing. And he hung there naked as we were naked before God. But he hung there naked, listen to me church, that we can be clothed. That we can be clothed with the spotless cleansed robe of his eternal righteousness today. Come on somebody. Hallelujah. 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 And one day we'll come back with him clothed in white linen. Hallelujah. We'll ride with the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Crown him Lord of lords. Come on somebody. And every one of us, the saints of God, are coming back with him crowned. Hallelujah. With crowns of glory and crowns of everlasting life. Clothed in the white linen, the righteousness of the saints. Thank God that he went through what he went through. So we don't have to bear the judgment for our sins. Woo, hallelujah. 
Those Roman soldiers were so mean and callous. They're gambling. Their heart is so hardened against what is going on. And listen to me, saints. We're living in a world today where the hearts of people have turned hard and are calloused against the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. We can, oh, Jesus, help me. Our pet canary can die, and we'll weep crocodile tears, but we can't read this account of Jesus dying on Calvary and it stir our emotions at all. People can sit in a church service and hear about the crucifixion of Jesus, and it just has got to the place where so many of us can just take it or leave it. It doesn't affect our emotions. Can I tell you something? That the cross of Jesus Christ should affect our emotions when we read about it, when we hear about it. It. Oh, I don't want to hear. People say, I don't want to hear no more about that cross stuff. All you talk about is that cross stuff. I, I heard a guy say that to me one time. Oh, well, you know, it's all about that cross stuff. Well, I'm glad today for that cross stuff. And that cross stuff better be what your faith is in today. And it better be what's touching your heart today. And you better let the Holy Ghost get a hold of you and soften your heart because it's that cross stuff that's going to give you a right to enter into the kingdom of God. Hallelujah. This world is so hard, calloused, mean and evil and ornery. It was, and even within the church, the religious, the religious group. I, I've got to close. I, I can't stay on this part all day. I think I could, but I won't. These were the people that were there. The same groups of people that come to the cross today. But then there was the purpose of the cross. The Bible says that the scribes and the Pharisees and the chief priests, the religious group, were there. And what was the church doing? It was the church of that day. What was the ministry, the Pharisees, chief priests, what were they doing, the scribes? It says they were wagging their heads at Jesus. I... <laughs> When I was studying this, I, one writer said that, that Greek word wagging meant to bob the head. These were the first bobbleheads. <laughs> this religious group wagging their head and bobbing their head at Jesus. And they were pouring out their venom. They were pouring out their hatred to the Lord Jesus Christ. They blasphemed Jesus. And they said to him as he hung there on the cross, this is the church group. Are you with me? This would be like, like letting a group of preachers into a prison to, to view an execution. And they're, ha, you're dying. Ha, ha, ha. Can you imagine that? That is what this was a picture of. They said to him, Aha, you who destroyed the temple and build it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. And we'll believe you. If you'll come down, we'll believe you. And they would not have. The chief priests, the scribes, mocked him. And listen to what they said. They said, He saved others. Can I take my coat off? Isaiah 48, I believe it is, said, You shall not gird yourself with anything that causes sweat. And I'm starting to sweat. <laughs> he saved others himself, he cannot save. Now they did not know it, but they, what they did, what these priests and scribes did in that statement, they declared the essence of the gospel. 
They said what they said in derision, but it was true what they said. What did they say? He saved others. Coming from the mouth of the devil, declaring the gospel, he saved others. They admitted that he had saved others and indeed he had saved others. He saved a little woman that had been suffering from an issue of blood for some 12 years and pressed through the crowd and had spent all that she had on physicians and was nothing better but grew worse. And she pressed through the crowd and touched the border of his garment and immediately the issue of blood was stopped. And Jesus said, Jesus said, daughter, your faith has made you well. At the beginning it said she was a woman. At the end Jesus calls her daughter. He saved others. He saved blind Bartimaeus at the entrance of Jericho when blind Bartimaeus cried out to him and said, Lord, have mercy on me. And he said, what do you want me to do for you, Bartimaeus? He said, oh, Lord, that I might receive my sight. And immediately the Lord opened his eyes that he could see. He saved others. When that leper came to him and said, Lord, if you were willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus said, I am willing, be thou clean. And he sent him to the priest to have him pronounced clean. And he was made cleansed and got to go back home. Hallelujah. He saved others. That maniac at Gadara that was possessed with a legion of demons that dwelt in the tombs and no man could tame him. And he cut himself and he screamed and he cried out. And Jesus showed up at Gadara and cast the demons out of him. And he was clothed and sitting in his right mind. Oh, he saved others. And I'm telling you, I'm here today because Jesus saves others. You're here today because Jesus saves others. I'm glad that he saved me. And the cross is what got me where I am today. He saves others. Woo! All over Israel, there were people who were saved by Jesus. There were eyes that were blinded that could see. There were people with lame limbs that could now walk. There were people that were deaf and that could now hear. The unclean were made clean because he saved others. And I'm looking at people in this service this morning. All over this building that Jesus has saved. You're here this morning saved from sin. Some of you are here today that are saved and delivered from addictions and bondages because Jesus saved others. There are some here today that are healed in your bodies that wouldn't be here today had not Jesus healed you and saved you and delivered you. See, They didn't know it, but they were declaring a great truth that Jesus saved others. They said, well, you know, himself, he can't save himself, which that was not true. Because ladies and gentlemen, the Bible says Jesus himself said that he could have called 12 legions of angels to deliver him from that cross. See, folks, it wasn't the nails that held Jesus to the cross. Jesus didn't stay on that cross because he could not come down. Jesus stayed on that cross because he would not come down. He could have come down anytime he wanted to, but he would not. He didn't come down from the cross because if Jesus would have saved himself, he could not have saved us. And I thank God that he did not save himself, but gave himself so that you and I can be saved today. Hallelujah. He was totally committed to the plan of God from the foundation of the world. And on that cross, he took our place. Thank God. For Calvary. Worship team, would you?
Make your way back, please. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Folks, there's only two possible ways to meet the demands of God. The righteous demands of a just God. Only two ways. And the number one, first, is that you would have to live a perfect life in word, deed, and thought from the day you were born until the day you die, never doing anything wrong, never sinning in any way. And how many of y'all know none of us have ever done that. The only one that ever did that was Jesus Christ. He was the only perfect one. And God's standard is perfection and none of us have attained perfection. So then that brings us to plan B, which is God's plan for all of us. And God's plan for all of us is that we can accept the payment that Jesus made for our sin at Calvary We can accept the free gift of God's Son and His righteousness. And when we do, He counts us as being righteous and He imputes the very righteousness of His Son to us and puts it on our account. And there was a great exchange made at the cross when Jesus Jesus became the sin offering and the sin bearer at Calvary to take my sin, all that I was, the ungodliness and the uncleanness and every sin that I had ever committed or ever would commit and laid them on Jesus Christ. And he died as that substitute that day. He took my sin so that when I place faith in Him and you place faith in Him, that He then cleanses that sin away and gives you His spotless, perfect righteousness and perfect life. So I am, am I perfect? No. Are you perfect? No. But, oh, hallelujah. When God Almighty looks at me and God looks at you and your faith is in that cross and what Jesus did there, God doesn't see the old Virgil. He doesn't see the old Joe. He doesn't see the old Jim. He doesn't see the old Rick. He doesn't see the old Terry. What he sees now is the blood of his son and the spotless, pure righteousness of his son. And on the inside, in that spirit, man, when God looks at you, he sees you clean. He sees you forgiven. He sees you washed. And I'm telling you, the cross of Jesus Christ has the final word, not the devil, not the devil, but the cross of Jesus has the final word today. Woo! It's all about what he did for me, what he did. It's not what I have done, what I can do, but it's what Jesus did at Calvary. Bow your heads this morning. Father, we love you today. Oh, hallelujah. Thank you so much, Lord, for the cross and what you did, for paying the supreme price at Calvary. Hallelujah. For the shed blood that at Calvary, Lord, you have given us through Jesus everything that we need if we'll just place our faith in you. I pray you'll touch hearts today, Lord. Let everyone here know today that they need, a, they, need, they need another trip to Calvary just to renew their faith. There's salvation. There's forgiveness. There's victory. There's healing. There's peace. There's prosperity. It's all in the blood of Jesus. We used to sing that old 